shake. Cool. Let me pray. Dear God, I want to thank you for tonight, and I want to thank you for the passage that we've just read and the message that will be given. And I pray that uh, you will help all of us through the power of your Holy Spirit to have open ears, open minds, and open hearts to your message here. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to start tonight by making a bit of a confession. I didn't realise how selfish I was until I got married. Obviously, before you get married, I was living up the single life and pretty much doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. So, you know, Saturday night, sport on TV, I can watch it. Cool, I'm doing it whatever I want, you know. Should I do the dishes? No, I'll leave them till tomorrow. Um, I'll run out of clothes. What should I do? I'll just wear yesterday's, no one cares. So, you know, single, do whatever you like. Then I got married. And then you have to think of somebody else. So can I run out of clothes? Well, no, because then you stink and your wife doesn't like you. You know, can you do the dishes tomorrow? Well, no, because that's not really, you know, showing servant love to your other half. So, you know, I didn't realise how selfish I was till I got married and probably learnt that the hard way. So I didn't realise how selfish I was till I got married and then I didn't realise how selfish I still was when I had children. Obviously, you know, interacting in a relationship with another adult that you can reason with is a whole pile different to then adding children who don't speak in coherent sentences and often let you know they're not happy by whinging in the middle of the night. So I have to confess that there might have been times when my children cried out in the middle of the night and I might have lied as still as is humanly possible in bed, waiting, longing for Rachel to also hear these cries and for her maternal instincts to kick in and her go and deal with the situation. I have told her about this and she did chuckle. Um, Now, at that time, it's obvious that, you know, how I'm responding to that situation shows what I value, that I valued my comfortable, warm bed as opposed to getting up and meeting the needs of my family. Now, that may be a silly example, but if we look at life through that lens of how we respond to situations shows what we value, then we very quickly can see what it is that we do value. Uh, Whether it is your kids coming and asking you to go outside in the backyard and play with them and Are you willing to do that and build relationships with them or would you rather watch TV? Uh, When your alarm goes off in the morning, do you value sleep more or you can hit the snooze button or are you going to get up and go for a run? Now, they're silly examples I know, but other times we'll be confronted with things like uh, knowing that a friend is in need. Do we make that phone call to see how, how they're going? Do we reach out and help them, knowing that it might put us out and we have to give up our time and our resources? Or do we think, oh, look, I don't have time to deal with that at the moment. I'll talk to them when I've got time. How we respond to situations shows what we value. Tonight we're going to be having a look through the passage uh, that we've read from Esther uh, in our Unlikely Hero series. And Esther is confronted with a situation and how she responds shows what, we, what she values. Now, we've heard from Esther chapter 4, uh, but 
it would be remiss of us not to stick that in the context of what's gone on. So for the next 100 seconds, we are going to catch up from Esther 1 to Esther 3 so we can see what's gone on before we get to chapter 4. Press play. God's Story Esther So part of God's story is about a woman named Esther, and it goes like this. Esther was adopted by her cousin, Mordecai, because her parents died. She and Mordecai were Jews, which means they were part of God's special family. Our story begins right before Esther becomes queen, and God's family gets in some serious danger. Now, even though Esther was a Jew, she lived in Persia, which was ruled by King Xerxes. Let's just call him X. One night, King X wanted to show off his wife, Queen Vashti, at a party. She said no. So he said Vashti could never see him again. And he needed a new queen. So the king invited all the single ladies in Persia to his palace for a year. He decided Esther was prettiest. And she became queen. Really? But as crazy as that sounds, it was a good choice because Esther saved his life. See, one day, Mordecai overheard two guards plotting to kill the king. So, he told Esther, and Esther told X. Around the same time, another powerful man at the palace, Haman, got really mad at Mordecai. He didn't know Mordecai had saved the king's life, or that he was the queen's cousin. So, he made a rule that all Jews must die. Like we said, he was really mad. And the king let Haman make this rule because he had no idea that Mordecai or Esther were Jews. Well, all the Jews were heartbroken. Stop there, stop there. Don't look, stop. (laughs) So there, in 100 seconds, is Esther's chapter 1 to 3. Here's where we find ourselves now. Now, as I read through all these passages, and I've read the book of Esther, um, I think safely say that most of you probably know the story of Esther and I think sometimes we can get a little bit too familiar with stories and we don't actually see the gravity of certain situations. We know that in the end the Jews are saved. Sorry to ruin it if you haven't read it. Um, but, But sometimes though we, knowing what happens at the end, neglect to sort of take a closer look at exactly what's happening at the time and the seriousness of what's going on. So the Jews, as was said in the video, they were in Persia. They had been exiled. They had been living in Jerusalem and had not followed God the way they should and the consequence was they were removed from Jerusalem and taken and were in exile. So they were in a completely foreign place. Foreign place, different customs, life different to what they were used to in Jerusalem, different to how God wanted them to live. And in amongst that we have Esther. Esther who essentially was part of the first edition of The Bachelor, where all of the pretty girls were brought to the king and the king pretty much made his way through all of them to work out who was going to be queen. Now, in amongst that, you know, with the Jews being in exile, this was not a new thing. We read heaps of times throughout the Bible that the Jews were often found themselves in exile because they didn't do a great job of following God. However, we read other times of where there were people who stood up even in those foreign places and showed that they valued their relationship with God. People like Daniel, 
who refused to bow to the king and got thrown in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if that's how you pronounce their names, who didn't bow down to the king and got thrown to the fiery furnace. Guys who, despite their circumstances, showed what they valued. Here, we read someone who, despite what their circumstances are, showed what they valued, but unfortunately, the end result was not a positive one. In that Esther showed what she valued, but she showed that she valued more the palace and what it provided than her following God. It's my understanding that at this time in Esther chapter 4, Esther had been married to the king for five years. And in that five years, no one had worked out she was a Jew. If someone followed you around for five years, would they know that you are a follower of Jesus? Because these people in the palace had no idea for that five years that Esther was a Jew. I think that tells me that she was probably not living a life that reflected her beliefs. As a result, Esther was completely disconnected from her people, her people, in that she had no idea what was going on. And it wasn't until Mordecai came in sackcloth and ashes outside the king's gates that she found out what was going on. Verse 5 tells us, Then Esther Esther called for Havak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Esther had no idea. No one had told her what was going on. I mean, you can understand why. No one thought she was a Jew. She had no idea that every Jew in every one of the 127 provinces of Persia were mourning the fact that they were going to be destroyed and that it was her husband, the king, who had signed off on this destruction. No idea. Mordecai lays it down to her and gives her a choice. says in verse 8, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favour and plead with him on behalf of her people. Esther's response is she just challenges back. Verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. As I read that, I actually thought that sounded a bit reasonable. So here's Esther shooting back to Mordecai. like, dude, are you serious? What you're asking me to do is to go into the king knowing, you know for well because everyone knows, that you can't just trot into the king's presence. I can't just walk in and go, g'day, hubby, what's up? Because if I do that, then it's death. Ugh, gone. In front of him. Bang. There. Cop that. Like, Mordecai, duh, don't be an idiot. Like, 
I'm not doing this. No doubt then she was also thinking, hang on a second, I'm the queen. Oh no, that's right, how did I become queen? Oh, because the last queen stood up for herself and what happened to her? Banished, gone, never to be seen again. Mordecai, don't be an idiot. What you are asking for me is absolute suicide. Why would you even, even think about doing that? Now, while that might be the case, Esther's response here still shows what she values. Esther's response still shows that the palace where she lives, the, obviously the great treatment that she gets, that she values that over saving her people, that she's not willing to let people know about her true identity. And instead, she would rather continue to live the way that she is. Not willing to give up the comfort of where she is to help her people. Now, there are times in history where people give speeches that are the right words at the right time, words that need to be said, that cut through exactly what's going on. November 2008... Barack Obama had just been elected as the new President of the United States. Now, there was a bit of hoo-ha about what was going on because he was the first African-American person to run for and then get elected. Now, if I remember correctly, there was a bit of animosity, I suppose, uh, in that at the time, I think there was the potential for there to be a little bit of race wars going on. As in, like, the African-American people had felt like they'd been hard done by, and some of it was rightfully so, hard done by for so long, and now they had their dude in the White House, you know, and it was going to be their turn, you know, to take out the, you know, to give it to the white people. And it had the potential, I think, to actually sort of blow up and really divide the nation. However, I remember when he gave his speech, I think I was sick that day and I happened to be home, and newly elected president... Obviously, history being made with the first African-American person. And he stood up and he rallied the American people to stand behind him. He reminded them of where they have come from and the spirit at which they had, did, had done the things that they had done. And to remember that spirit and to go forth. And the rallying motto he said was, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Now... As a white, non-American guy sitting in Australia, half a world away from where this was taking place, it was hard not to get swept up in everything that was going on. I think, this guy's got it. Yeah, let's get behind him. The right words were said at the right time to unite a nation. Here, we read a speech that Mordecai gives. And no, it is not to millions. It is to one person. But the ramifications of this echo throughout history. And Mordecai's speech is to Esther, and he says the following. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this.
Mordecai's response to Esther just cut through exactly what was going on. Called it for what it is and said, Esther, you can either continue to live the lie that you're living, thinking that the palace will protect you, but you will suffer the same fate as us. Or you can stand up, turn back to the God that you have turned your back on for so long because maybe, maybe you have been put in the position you have been put in as queen for such a time as this for God to use you to save the Jews. We are all going to find ourselves in situations where our response to that will show what we value. Now, we may not find ourselves in such a life and death situation as Esther, but we still will find ourselves in situations where how we respond shows what we value. How will you respond? How will you respond when people ask you what you've done this weekend? Will you tell, you, tell them you've been at church tonight? Or will you rattle off everything else that's happened throughout the weekend and conveniently forget the two hours that you've been here tonight? How will you respond when people ask you questions about what your stance is with controversial issues like marriage equality or abortion? Will you stand up and say and represent what the Bible says? Or will you just go along with what other people are saying because you don't want to ruffle any feathers? How will you respond when you're hanging out with friends and they suggest to go and do something that seems a bit dodgy or you're at a party and people are too busy getting drunk and making out? How are you going to respond? Are you going to be part of that because you just want to stay in the in crowd and just go along and not say anything? Or are you going to stand up and show what you believe? We will all find ourselves in situations Please do not think that you are going to just make a decision on the spot and know what to do. Be prepared ahead of time to know. Don't be so naive as to think that oh, it'll all work out all right, I'll make the right choice. Be prepared beforehand. Now, I'm not... How do I say this? Like, Do not think, too, that... like. It's only going to be oh, big decisions that you have to worry about. It's every decision you make. Every decision. How you talk to your brother or sister in the car on the way home tonight. Like, every decision we make is either helping us grow closer in our relationship with God or turning away from him. How will you respond? Now, please don't think that I'm just making this like sound really easy because I know that it's hard and I know that there potentially can be consequences. No one wants to be in situations where you stand up for what you believe and you just get bagged out by all your friends or bagged out by people at work. No one wants that. But sometimes there are times when we need to stand up for what we believe in and reflect God's love and light to our community. the risk of sort of putting a bit of downer on it um, like me you're going to fail sorry there's going to be times when you do stuff just like this is not how I should have you know I should have done this differently God you know I'd, 
I went along with the crowd rather than standing up for you. You know, sorry, you're going to fail. I failed. I'll fail again in the future. I can't help but when I think of failure to think of Peter. You know, here's a guy who wandered around with Jesus, saw him do miraculous things, heard him teach, was told, you're going to disown me. No, Jesus, rubbish. Luke 22, starting at verse 54. Then they seized him, him being Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, Hey, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. We've all done that. We've all been Peter. We've all, you know, with the best of intentions, tried to stand up and do what we think's right and epically failed. There may be times right now that you're remembering of those times where you have failed, where you've let yourself down, where you haven't done things that show what it is you believe. We have an awesome and amazing God who knows these things already, who we can come to and say, God, I am sorry that I've messed up here. Please forgive me. And he offers forgiveness. We read later on uh, in the Gospels that Peter was restored by Jesus. We have a forgiving God. There are times that are coming to mind now. Give them back to God. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask him to help you to learn from what happened. To know what to do next time. But we have a forgiving God. Bring those things to him. The flip side, though, is is when we stand up and show people what we value, we can show God's light and love to our community and great things can happen. Think of Stephen. He's a bloke who stood up for what he believed in, in Acts. Hey, it didn't go good for him. He got killed, you know. And hey, it didn't go good because there was heaps of persecution going on around at the time. But God took something that seemed like it was with evil intent and used it for good. That yes, there was persecution after he got killed and yes, all these people scattered. However, all those people who were following Jesus then scattered around the countryside and went and took their message of good news about Jesus to all of these places who had not heard it before. That God took something that was evil and used it for good and for the furthering of his kingdom. Our world needs people who are willing to stand up and show what they value and that we're willing to stand up and show that we are people that follow God and want to show his love and his light to our community. To conclude tonight, I'm going to read a paragraph from Chuck Swindle's book on Esther because he words it heaps better than I ever will. What does it matter if I get involved or not? 
It matters greatly. It matters to your character. Yes, it's true that God has other ways to accomplish his objectives. He has other people he can use. He isn't frustrated or restrained because you and I may be indifferent. But when that happens, we are the losers. When we have been called for such a time as this, how tragic if we are not there to stand in that hour. There will be no celestial shout urging you to take a stand, nor will a flash of lightning awaken you in the midst of your slumber. It doesn't work like that. So don't sit around waiting passively. Numerous needs and issues surround us. They summon us to stand up and be counted. While we will not be able to respond to all of them, the solution is not to respond to any of them. So let me ask you, what are you doing to stand up, to stand alone, to answer the call of God in this hour? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God that knows all things. We thank you that you are a God that is in control of all things. And Lord, we thank you for the story of Esther. And we thank you that in the end, yes, Esther made a choice to follow you and you used her to save your people. Lord, you know that you are going to put us in situations that are going to be for our good and for your glory, but that are going to be hard, where you want us to stand up for you and you place us in these situations. Lord, in those times, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to stand up, to be your advocates your messengers in our schools, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities. Lord, we know that there are times in the past that you have asked us to stand up and we have failed. Please forgive us for those times. Please help us to learn from that. Please draw us closer to yourself. Please help us to be people who stand up, who are known in our areas around where we live and where we do our things that we're known for people who stand up for you and who share your love and your light with those that need it most. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.